From the Catholic Archdiocese of Adelaide and RHD Radio and Podcasting, this is the Parishes of Adelaide podcast for Wednesday, June the 17th. I'm your host, James Meston. This new podcast is one of the ways that, as an archdiocese of many parishes, we can stay connected during this time, when we are disconnected in a lot of ways. Every Wednesday, we'll be releasing a new episode that will feature conversations with different parishes to see how they are staying connected with their congregations at the moment. Today, we'll be spending time at the Salisbury and Tea Tree Gully parishes. At the Salisbury Parish, I met with parish priest Father Shabu, assistant priest Father Santosh, and parish council member Geraldine. We started with Father Santosh reading this Sunday's Gospel. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus summoned the twelve and sent them out with the following instructions. Have no fear, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear people of God, the gospel passage that we just listened to is the gospel passage we will hear again the coming Sunday. In this short gospel passage, we heard Jesus repeatedly saying to his listeners, Do not be afraid, not once, not twice, but three times Jesus says, Do not be afraid. And that's a great and apt message to reflect upon during this ongoing pandemic. It is rightly said, if you are sad, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you are happy, you are living in the present. I repeat, if you are sad, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you are happy, you are living in the present. I have personally found this statement to be very true. Few months back, when life came to standstill due to COVID lockdown restrictions, most of us were sad because we were missing the good old days of freedom. Here, we were thinking of the past which made us sad. Many of us were anxious and panicked, thinking about the coming days, and we thought of storing in plenty 
necessary things and in this we, we witnessed the panic buying stores running out of stocks here we were worried about the future we were not sure whether we will have enough things to survive so thinking heavily about the future made us anxious but it's very few of us who were neither sad nor anxious and those were the ones who were really happy because they were living the present through the gospel passage jesus invites us to be fearless confident having our complete trust in god the father we need to learn this lesson from nature the birds in the air the fish in the waters the animals the trees and plants they have neither bonds nor bank accounts to store for for the future yet they live more fearlessly than us the god who has created them takes care of them if so we who are created in his own image and likeness should be more fearless as he wouldn't abandon us let us remind ourselves that god loves and cares for each of us don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows the last verse of psalm 27 sums it up well trust in the lord have faith do not despair trust in the lord let's move from fear to courage through trust and reliance on god god bless live jesus amen Father Shabu just carrying on from that reading and that reflection um about anxiousness at this time um parishioners I'm sure must be coming to you saying that they do feel anxious that they have felt worried about um what parish life means going forward during this time because it's been this has probably been the biggest interruption um to regular parish life maybe maybe ever but definitely within living memory when parishioners come to you and they talk about the things that are making them anxious what do they say to you the most i think uh, the most fearful thing they had was the fear of the pandemic itself but apart from that what worried them was like we are not going to have any more uh masses they can't participate in the mass and then they couldn't come together as a community that was worrying most people and um, yeah i used to have on an average about 6 to 8 people a week meeting me in the office mm. and certain days several phone calls where people were worried about church worried about uh, their life situation people who had lost their jobs university students who did not have any means to survive um and with the help of uh, the team here in the parish uh with the priest the office staff and lots of volunteers who were supporting we managed to stream through that 
yeah these were the major worries where they were not able to participate in the eucharist and they were not part of the community or social relationship isolated and what do you, and what do you tell them what did you say the most important thing was to make people understand that our spirituality is not confined to coming together or anything definitely you know that is a big part of us but it's not limited to so we explored with them options to make sure that they got in touch with people you know so there were telephone communications and we have got now people in the parish who pray together over telephone or over zoom really and we have uh, you know like uh, we made use of the possibility of uh, electronic media mm-hmm. quite well at this time and every parishioner got a call from um, a, a supportive group we called them companions in pastoral communication telephone numbers were assigned to them to make sure that every household gets a call now i'm just clocking in my head the size of sulps because i believe this is the largest yes. metro parish yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of phone so calls what 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 we did was like you know i identified 25 people to be the pastoral companions and gave them instructions you know like um, Geraldine and the rest of the pastoral team helped me through that so gave them instructions as to privacy concerns gave them instructions as to what exactly need to be asked mm-hmm. they were instructed to reflect on a gospel before they begin the process so okay. every yeah, right. everybody was contacted and then uh, you know took details of people who need some kind of support there were people who required uh, um reconciliation there were people who required uh the copies of parish bulletin there were people who required you know very happy to know that somebody is thinking about them at this stage mm. you know and and all all those kind of things so it was a it was a process that we took about a week to put in place but when what happened, just to do the process just just do the process planning okay. out creating guidelines contacting the companions who you know they they needed to be volunteers mm-hmm. who are willing to take this time out from their regular schedule yeah. whatever they are doing so it took time but when it happened it really worked out well you know yeah. Geraldine did you um make some of these calls the calls that needed to go out That's today? right um so it was it was quite fascinating because you you know you get cold calls and you know there's the awareness that people might feel a bit apprehensive in receiving a call is there any one call that you that you made that's going to that sticks with you well there was one that um where someone a friend had died a few months beforehand and she had no one to really grieve with in that so we spent time you know i i listened my primary thing was to to listen yeah and just listening to her and listening to her describe her grief and who that person had been for her and what she might be able to do as restrictions would ease so there was that kind of 
um, example. That must have been stories. hard because on one hand, you're, you're you're providing emotional support for someone who hasn't had the ability to be able to kind of really open themselves up and be present with, with grief because that's what it feels like. But at the same time, you're also having to provide kind of guidance about how to interact with, with church in that way as well. It's... Well, must I think have been challenging, um, or maybe it's not for you. Maybe this is just something that you you feel is just part of. It's maybe you know just part of the inner grace that I've been given, and yeah. uh, but it, it really does stem from a deep love for people at the end of the day. And where does um, that come from for you? Well, I, I think this time in particular, if we take you know, because I've got a long life to look over, but if I look at the current situation. What's become really, really clear for me is the the eternal loving God, because the the pandemic has really shown that everything is impermanent, that we live with impermanence, and so it makes God more um, more important, more real in God's eternal presence in our lives and and God's loving presence. You know, when people are losing jobs, when families are separated, when people are dying and they can't be with one another in that space, then the, 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 the presence of God as a loving God brings consolation into our lives. So I think um, I think we've been fortunate as people of faith to have that sense of you know and hopefully a heightened sense of who God is and um, and how God relates to us. So it's a fairly simple thing. Then I believe that we enact that in the way that that Jesus did. You know, Jesus was on about those who were invisible or inaudible, overlooked, diminished, derided. So I see our mission in life is to be constantly aware of those who are invisible or inaudible or diminished or derided and to let our gaze fall on them in the same way as Jesus did. And and being part of a faith community, I, mean, I speak maybe for myself, but I'm sure for thousands, millions of others, being part of a community of faith actually nourishes that. We stand in solidarity with one another, and sometimes we do it well, and sometimes we do it really badly. Mm. But I keep coming back to the the source of the the community that gathers around Eucharist, and in my own feeble way, I participate in that celebration each week. Why feeble? Week. What do you mean? Well, feeble because I, I think when I look at the people, especially as people go forward to receive Eucharist um, with their open hands, and that sense of receiving that gift, um, and I look at the, what the, the life that they're living, and I would know that people are living with tremendous difficulties, and yet they remain faithful to this, this um, ancient rite and ritual 
and in humility they come forward in that way. And I, I just um I just find that moving and inspiring. And that's my feebleness. I think of their faith, and their faith actually carries me uh, in a way that, you know, has been enduring and profound because I couldn't do this journey on my own. Yeah. Um, so it must seem very now, like where we're sitting at the moment, it's it's interesting. I feel this real tendency in this sort of very large church, in this room that we're in, which when we were getting set up, you're saying, oh, we need a, a place with a table so we can set all the microphones up. And, and uh, um, the room that was suggested was the crying room, which mm -hmm. is where we're sitting right now. Otherwise, in a St. Monica's room, is that right, the other name for it? The crying room in that this is the room that when um, – um, mothers or fathers of families, if they have a child or an infant that's crying, they can come into this room and it's completely glass, but you can see everything that's going on mm. um, outside. And I know I've never heard it referred to as a crying room. I've seen this in a few other parishes. Um, I feel the need to be really quiet, even though I'm sure that in a normal time, at a normal space, at a normal mass, um, this is a very loud space. <laughs> this is a space that actually has a lot of volume. Um, has your... Um, idea is as you as we come through here and it's very quiet and this is kind of how it is at the moment how it's been for the last couple of months has your feeling about what it is to be as you say in community in parish has it changed at all um in in the last couple of months i think it, it has it has developed rather than changed okay. you know it has deepened um, because I've been able to, I, I think the journey through life is a continual taking on and letting go. And I've been interested in, in what we can let go of, but also then what arrives at the door, often unexpectedly, and, um, and the, the, the delight of that. So, for example, my husband Paul and I, um, coordinate nine o'clock mass team and it's a huge team about up to 40 people wow, on the roster enormous. you know yeah. um and so it's it's very um it's very uh, demanding in terms of the practicalities but the gift of it is the journeying with people and the intimacy that that ensues as you discover more about their own lives during this time, we haven't gathered for Mass, um, but we made a commitment to send out a newsletter every week, Thursday or Friday, just staying connected. And it, in it, we put you know maybe a short reflection, but also news from one another, um, as people have contacted us. And then interesting resources, they can be prayer resources or uh, a beautiful poem, or something from the arts, and it's about nourishing the soul, because I think this time really has, has heightened that, that it is a spiritual journey, and no matter whether we are at Sunday Eucharist or daily Eucharist, whether we gather for family prayer or not, that the spirit is enduring and needs to be nourished because it would be it it can wither easily. So I th I think for all those reasons, um, same with the women's network in in sending a newsletter to to the women in the parish who are part of the network, it's that more heightened recognition that our life is a journey of the spirit, and will it wither or will it be drawn into a more beautiful space? 
And I would like to think when we ever reconvene as a parish community, that we will be more beautiful and more serene and more loving and more gracious. I love how you refer to it as more of a, a development, an evolution, essentially, mm. of, a, of our own personal faith journeys and our parish journeys, as opposed mm. to a hiatus having to step back and go, okay, we're just waiting now. That's it's right. rather this is an opportunity. Yeah. And um, um, Father San, um, I'm curious to know because as parishioners in a parish, as, a, as part of any congregation, we are so used to encountering God in very, um, I guess, like, predetermined ways you know we come to mass we we come pray the rosary adoration um, reconciliation all of those ways receiving eucharist at the moment that has changed and so the places that people would usually encounter god in, in ways that they would normally do it has needed to change i would be very curious to know that for you personally um have you encountered god in different places than you would normally have done during this time? Maybe in a way that would surprise you. Yes. Uh, these days we have been visiting the sick people on call, and especially to, uh, uh, to the visiting the hospitals and visiting the nursing homes. And I have encountered a particular person uh, in the hospital, and he was quite sick but he was quite a very active parishioner in this parish. Mm -hmm. I'm quite new, so I didn't know the person uh, so well. But when I shared the person's name with, with Father Shibu, he told me how active he was in this parish. And he was also one of the members in the parish council committee. So uh, that man... Though he is quite young, but due to some sickness, he is in the hospital and uh, and he was alone. I found him like when I visited him for the first time. Uh, he met me as a, for the first time as well because there were different assistants here. Mm -hmm. And when he understood that I am Father Santosh and a newly appointed assistant here in Salisbury, that man was very happy. And uh, we had... Uh, a conversation there i did the anointing of the sick and i was as i was going driving back to the house uh, i got a call from his wife who was absent there but it was she who had asked me to come and anoint him mm -hmm. and she asked me how is he and i told him he's he looks absolutely fine he was so happy and uh, we had a good chat chat and i didn't find anything wrong in that wrong in him and she said, Father, is that so? Because I was with him this morning and he was really down. And he was feeling, he was not properly talking and he was feeling very sick. And uh, I am so happy to hear that uh, you are giving me a different opinion. You know what happened? I think that is the encounter between two people where we prayed together. We shared, uh, I introduced myself to him and he was telling about his life. And... Uh, there was it was the work of God and definitely that is the encounter of God I I believe. From Salisbury I headed to Tea Tree Gully Parish to meet with a large group, parish priest Father James, parish secretary Denise, sacristan David, and parishioners Trish and Ernest. I started by asking Denise about how the new system of needing to book places for mass was going and was it creating any difficulties for the parish office or the parishioners? Do, do you find it difficult? Is it hard? 
No, I don't find it's difficult because people have to realise at this time of life, you have to book to go anywhere. So it's not just coming to Mass to go yeah. anywhere they have to book for. But they don't they don't feel at ease booking for Mass because it's somewhere that they just turn up to and it's part of their community and they just feel that it's so waiting for it to come back to just being normal and just be able to turn up and be in a community and greet people like they used to. They're feeling a bit... Oh, it's difficult coming here, I suppose, and not not kissing everybody or hugging everybody, just sort of standing back and waving just doesn't seem right to them. And yeah, But they're all happy to be back at church and receiving communion. That's what we're all back, receiving communion, and that's what they're happy about doing, coming back and receiving communion instead of just watching it on Facebook. And you were saying that even that being said, you're still not. it's still not being filled to capacity at the moment. No, a lot of people are holding back. I think they're not... All, all that, especially the elder population, which we have here at this parish, right. they're not prepared to come out and mix with people just yet. They're a bit offhanded about it in case they get something, and if yeah. they hear someone cough, they think, "Oh my goodness, what's going on?" So they're a little bit reserved about coming in, into a community situation at the moment. They want to be by themselves still. Yeah. So that's why I think we're still having a lot of people watching us. Uh, on Facebook Live every morning at 9.15 or, or Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30, they stay home and watch it on Facebook and they're quite happy doing that. And you, you would be getting those numbers too, seeing how many of those people are watching it on, on Facebook. How many people are you finding are doing that? Are you, are you seeing that, um, that there is a sort of like a direct correlation between the people who aren't here and the people who are watching you on Facebook? No, because a lot of people, especially our elder population, don't have smartphones yeah, right. so therefore they can't watch it on Facebook we're getting around 60 to 70 people every every day watching it Father James yeah. so yes you know and we normally have around 200 at every mass so we are right down on who's yeah. looking at it and who's coming but not as I say not everyone's got a smartphone and they can do it so yeah. our older population can't even use a computer so therefore they're missing out altogether. that is hard and so, it's hard, and it's hard getting the word out to them that we are open again for masses. Because if they're not looking at our televised mm -hmm. Facebook page, then they've got no idea that we're back operating yet. Right. So I guess, Father James, then what, what do you do? You've got an elderly uh, congregation here that if you if they're not actually coming here to mass, you can't actually get in contact with them. What do you then do to kind of try to sort of like fill that that gulf and fill that void, keep them engaged? Yes, um, sometimes I try to visit them and I also try to send through word of mouth people who come to our church and you know, I send, let others know. So people, in our parish it was very nice, the people call their friends to inform that church is open and people do come. Mm. But some of the elders are being warned by their own children, grandchildren not to go out. So yeah. they are scared to go out. So, you know, the children are looking up their grandparents. They even do their shopping and keep the food outside and they go. And for you, what has been the most difficult part of this whole process of this sudden, I mean, the transition, the change was so fast. It all happened so quickly. You guys must have had to have like mobilized into completely different ways of doing things very fast what for you has been like the most unexpected thing that's been difficult to have to deal with to be honest um, i didn't feel anything very difficult because the next day itself 
I am not a Facebook person and I don't have a Facebook account. Mm-hmm. But uh, with the help of the pastoral council chairman, the next day itself we created a Facebook account and the next day we started on online uh, live stream mass. For three, four days it was hard for me to say mass alone and share reflection to the mic without any people. What was the first time like? Recount for me the, the the moment that you had to get up the first time and there was nobody in front of you. Yeah, it was so hard to speak because I don't know whether they were listening and I was the only operator. So I kept the um, computer and the camera and I can't see whether it was working or not. Yeah, right. So I was just talking, <laughs> God takes. <laughs> You know, look so you're just my... assuming it's all working. Yeah. Or you might I have was... to go back and do the whole thing again. Yeah, I can't do. But I was just doing and let them listen. Or you know, if it is work, it works, works. If it doesn't, it's okay. Yeah. But it worked, and the response was amazing. You know, people were writing, and uh, people were so connected, not only with us among themselves. They were sending greetings over that Facebook. Yeah, right. And oh, that's something else. Yeah, it was really good. And even now, after opening the church, people are still on the... We live stream and they watch. Right. And they talk to each other, they greet, and they share their pain and suffering. And what uh, do they say? If they, you know, if someone has to go for operation, they will write. If someone is sick, okay. they will ask for prayers, and, you know, they thank. Every time they, they thank, you know, thank you, Father, for keeping us, you know, connected. Right. So, so there's there's a community there all of a sudden has kind of sprung up inside this Facebook yes, page. definitely. Which you would never have expected, I suppose. That is true. I have yeah. even, you know, I was amazed because I am not into Facebook. Yeah. But suddenly a community, you know, virtually made to function. Yeah. That's that's really special. So, David, as um, being a sacristan here is something that you do is sort of like a main role. What does a sacristan do when there's no mass, or like I guess no public mass, I suppose? Well, I find I can be quite busy here. The 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 sacraments role, what I do outside of that, and, and what I've been very conscious of in, in these recent weeks with the pandemic itself, the the need to make sure that the church is clean and mm-hmm. hygienic. Okay. So as a consequence of all that, through Father's guidance and his wishes, obviously, we've been focusing very hard on simply cleaning the church more. For example, the windows behind me mm-hmm. and the windows. They look, they look lovely, by the way. Well, they've, they've been cleaned inside and outside. Um, it's a great experience. That's yeah. all I can say. Is it? Is it? Are they a lot more clean than they would usually be with the normal well, way that the parish would run? I, I, I'm not one to talk about the parish, but but Father James said to me the last time they were cleaned was 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you. Well, look. I tell you what. It's like if you were renovating, like, and you and you you that you had windows that you didn't need to wash too much. That kind of amber glass is really good for that. <laughs> it would have been really funny if you cleaned it and all of a sudden they're clear. <laughs> they're actually clear white glass. Well, I, I think one or two people have noticed because I've had one or two comments. Yeah. I've even been offered jobs. Oh, really? Go to their homes and clean their windows, obviously. <laughs> But with all that as well, it's also given us another opportunity to simply look at the organisation within our 
administrative roles within the church where we store everything and yeah. what we actually keep and where our itinerary lists are up to date or not. So currently we're now working or I'm working on that at the moment. And I, it's opened my eyes to so much stuff we have got that's, you know, in the cupboards, in boxes. Like what? Um, and haven't been touched for years. Like what sort of stuff? Well, some religious articles, um, uh, brass candle holders and such and things like that. Mm -hmm. The catech stuff and things like that. But equally, we've also got a lot of stuff that, you know, old records from 20 years ago and longer. Uh, stuff that's quite, well, just not, you know, efficient or, or really required anymore. So it's a case of saying, right, that has to go, mm -hmm. clear it all out. Um, so that's that's keeping me quite busy actually mm. and when you've gone today I'll be carrying on that role. Uh, Ernest, for you in moments like this when as a congregation you guys aren't able to gather in the same way, where have you noticed the spirit within this congregation at this particular time? When I uh, when this virus hit the place closed, church was closed and uh, yeah, there was no church and then in a few weeks, Father James asked me to say the rosary on the broadcast. And this really brought me, you know, I've saying it on my own home. But when you're saying it for the crowd, you really, something in your heart makes you grow in that way. You yeah. know? And uh, coming back to the church and saying it there with other people, it's, you know, really does something to you. I just hope we can grow better with it, with the Rosie, because uh, our brother up there is, does help us in our life journey quite a lot. I have found it uh, makes life outside the church so much easier. You seem to fall into a pattern yeah. much easier, and uh, to me it's just a fantastic way of life. I love the rosary. I really love it. It's 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 a much older Catholic tradition that isn't really practiced as much now yeah. as as it has been in time past. What do you think makes the rosary so special? Well, it uh, draws people together, and by saying the rosary, it's just something inside you. I say it here, and I say another rosary during the day. You must um, be so remarkably at peace. I am. Are you? Yeah. Because that's what I find about the rosary. It's just, it's the ultimate medi Christian meditation exercise. Yeah. As well as being incredibly, yeah. as a wonderful form of worship and a wonderful way yeah. of prayer. It's a it's a beautiful meditative process. Yeah. It's not babbling of words. When you're saying the rosary, you're thinking about what was going on at the time. Right. When you say babbling of words, like what, what would you class as a babbling of words? Well, when, when you, sometimes you... Uh, saying a prayer and you say it in a hurry and you're not thinking about what you're saying, it's just the words coming out. You're babbling. Yeah. And uh, to me, the rosary, you've got to concentrate on what was happening in each decade. Trish, through all this, this whole process of, the, of this change that's happened with coronavirus, has your idea of what being a parish is changed at all during this time? The looking at the daily schedule, this is when we do mass, this is when we do this, this is when the parish activities happen. When that disappears and that's taken away, I guess you're kind of forced to kind of rethink, well, if we're actually going to stay together with our congregation and our parish, we have to do things differently. For you, has parish 
needed to change into something different than you thought it was before? Um, I don't have problems with, with, with change. Um, the only thing that I found was really um, sad for me was that I could not come down to, to the church and just sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament. That, that was something right. I, I, I really missed. Um, Is that something that you do quite regularly? It's something I've always done. Do you I do it every very, day? I was very fortunate. My father used to take us to morning mass and he had a great devotion. Well, his family had great devotion to the Sacred Heart. Mm. But my mother's side of the family were merry orientated because we had to say the rosary. And I never got a decade in because there was, there's only five decades, there's six in the family. And because <laughs> <laughs> and I used to wriggle and so forth and think, oh God, I don't want to be here, you know. But to Did see, you get a chance to say any of the, the prayers in between the decades at all? No, don't be ridiculous. Oh, okay, no. sorry about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who got to do that? Well, well, I, I had I had this kneel between my mother and my sister, so between my sister pinching me and, and, and mum sort of looking at me, I had no hope in Okay. <laughs> What's it like when you get the opportunity to say the rosary now? I very rarely would say it on my own. Right. But um, but I do sort of, I, I, most mornings, well, now that I'm, I'm coming back to morning mass, haven't come back to the Sunday message as yet. Uh, I I do like to join in. I think it is a community prayer. I don't find it as a um, anything that I would do normally at home. I, right. I very rarely um, would pick up my rosary beads or anything like that. You talked before about you said the first thing that you had missed doing, and now that you can do it again, is actually adoration. That's right. Um, and that it was something that was really powerful from your childhood. Do you remember the first time that you actually had that experience and it actually meant something to you, that it actually really struck you? I've had that all my life. Do you remember the very first time that it ever happened? The very first time that I met Jesus personally was the morning that we were going over to make our first confession in those days, mm -hmm. or reconciliation as we call it now. Mm -hmm. And I was an odd bot out as far as school was concerned. I'm dyslexic, so in those days you were weird. You know? It probably wasn't something that people even said back then. Huh? Was it something that even people termed it as that back then? Did people no. say dyslexic? No, no. No, 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 no. It was a, a struggle for me, absolute struggle all my life. But I was, I was walking, um, this is in Sydney, and because uh, sisters got us all lined up, and I'm at the back and I'm kicking the dirt as you do <laughs> walking along and 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 I, I sort of understood what we were going to do mm -hmm. to my limit I, I sort of knew what we were going to do that was fine but as I was walking along um, I don't don't tell people this very often but it was the first time that I felt that Jesus and I were holding hands together and what did that feel like um, even now it, it, it's 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 just yeah, amazing. I've been going to morning mass for years and years and years. So was even, that... Even with my children, I used to find daily masses, you know, we used to be able to go over to Norwood to mass. I dragged them along and sort of... So, yes, I've always basically been um, a person who's always gone to mass 
because I choose to go to maths, not because I have to. And so that moment was the was the moment that for the you moment. that changed everything. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And and for you, what did that change? Like for you, what was was the biggest change between what you were as a person before that moment and how you were after? What did that change mean? I think it. I think it gave me the courage to keep keep walking with Jesus. I mean, you know, the footsteps. I, I mm. you know, to meditate on the footsteps is amazing, and I've done that on many beaches. You know, just walking along, and I felt, you know. Jesus carry me. Parishes of Adelaide is a production of ArchD Radio and Podcasting for the Catholic Archdiocese of Adelaide. You can subscribe to this podcast and have it delivered to your device every Wednesday as soon as it's released on whatever platform you're listening to it on right now. Music in this episode is from Kevin McLeod and Hyde. If you think there are other people who may enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. And if there are others you know or in your parish who don't have the technology to listen to podcasts on their phone, iPad, computer, or other digital device, we can make CDs of this podcast available. Please contact me by email, that's in the show notes, and we'll work out how to get those to you. You can also ring on our message line and record your own message to the Archdiocese for inclusion on the next episode. As this podcast is all about parishes and parishioners of Adelaide, it seems only fitting that we feature all those voices as much as we can. I'll include the number in the podcast show notes too, but if you call 83016633, that's 83016633, and follow the prompts, you can be heard on the next episode of Parishes of Adelaide, and it'd be great to hear from you. If you want to hear some of the other podcasts we make here at RHD, we have four others we produce, all to do with different aspects of Catholic education and Catholic life. You can see them all on our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and look for RHD Radio and Podcasting, and they're all there. My name is James Meston. I look forward to catching up with you again next Wednesday. See you next week.